Welcome to the Potion Podcast, your raw look at the hospitality industry, brought to you by SHC. This week's episode is proudly sponsored by Bar Green Ellington for all your restaurant and bar needs. Visit bargreen.com for the full portfolio. What is happening, Post Shifters? Welcome back to another episode of the Post Shift Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Sean Sewell. Um, this week, we're getting a little nitty-gritty with taxes and craft spirits. You, if you've ever watched anything else, actually, i got to show... I, I should do that one. That one, right there. I have a hat on my thing from my BC Spirits. You know how much I love craft spirits if you've ever watched any of my other content, which hopefully you have. Um, but... Uh, I have a massive, I'm just finishing up my Facebook stuff here, as I always do every episode, because it never shows uh, it the way I want it to be shown. Um, so I am a massive proponent for craft spirits in BC. Uh, during COVID, I tasted 306, I did a spirit a day, so I did 365 spirits. I'm doing it weekly now. And actually, if you look at, fuck, I keep doing the wrong hand. If you look over this shoulder, right, uh, I can't get the, there we go. That right there. I have 22 bottles of craft spirits just from BC that I'm still going to taste for the coming months. So I've got four months worth of products sitting on my on my uh, bar right now that I'm going to do tasting shows for. But today we're sitting down with Tyler Dyke from Okanagan Spirits. He is the CEO, boss man at. Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say boss man because his dad might get offended at that one. But uh, <laughs> he's the boss man over at Okanagan Spirits. Uh, we've been good friends for over a decade now. He's also the person of the Craft Distillers Guild of BC and the newly formed Craft Distillers Alliance. Is the he's the public liaison. And what we're talking about today is how um, craft spirit movement and the distillers of uh, Canada, BC and Canada. Um, I kind of getting the shaft when it comes to taxes and how um, the governments are seeing how they can work into this into thing. We've all seen craft distillers really blow up over the last couple of years. Uh, we've got close to 80 or 75 here in BC right now. Um, and we aren't seeing the same sort of uh, government um, assistance as we have for breweries and wineries. And obviously with wholesale pricing, which I'm going to get into because I'm very passionate about this one. I love wholesale pricing for all the macro stuff I can get, but it has really hurt being able to buy craft spirits at a good price in BC. So uh, welcome to How are you, sir? Hey, doing really well. Great to see you there, Sean. So let's just kick it off. Just give it a, a, a nice little overview of, um, of uh, who you are and what you do with the Okanagan Spirits. Well, um, Okanagan Spirits is, as you know, Western Canada's original farm-to-flask distillery. It's family-run. So uh, you mentioned my dad earlier. Uh, we like to call him El Capitan. He usually is uh, buries himself over in the barrel room. Uh, but it is a, uh, you know, a family business. We've got my twin sister in here, my brother. Uh, on top of that, uh, as you also know, I've been head of the Craft Distillers Guild of BC uh, for well over a decade now. And... Um, you know, which really is just the uh, working body for the craft distillers of Dis- uh, BC to get some sense of a sane deal on provincial policy when it comes around their sales agreements or their production agreements. And and that, that was a huge win for us back in 2013 when we became the first craft agreement in North America to actually... Uh, where you started to get some benefits for championing authentic from start to finish production terroir specific. And so that was really where this blowing up of the industry came from. And it kind of put BC at the forefront of the craft spirits movement in Canada. Um, and now 
as the um, sort of spokesperson and head of the this loosely formed alliance of the now over 225 craft distilleries across Canada, uh, we work together on the provincial, interprovincial level uh, to try to help our partners in different um, uh, in different provinces, but also learn from them. Uh, but now with this Lift Canada Spirits movement, which is all about uh, getting some sense of sanity in the excise tax regime, which is really holding back uh, ingenuity, uh, just creativity and, and an expansion of the industry here in Canada. And we've got this great group of over 225 wow. united craft distillers right across from coast to coast to coast and that are passionate about uh, celebrating what they do, but getting a fair shake at it is really what we're asking for. As I said in the, in the intro, a lot of people know that the craft distilling movement, especially here in BC, has really blown up over the last couple of years. But you guys are one of the oldest. You're, you're going on. Are you going on 20 years yet? Getting pretty close. Yeah, yeah. we're going to be uh, we're just about a year and a half out from that. And it's, um, you know, it, it's it seems seems like the flash uh, a blink of an eye, but it's <laughs> it's been a long haul. That's for sure. And you've got it. Yeah, and talk going back to the craft designation that you got in 2013 for a lot of the distillery. Well, most of the distilleries, I would say. I would say 90% of the distilleries in, in BC are craft designated. Yeah. Um, for the listeners at home, craft means that you use BC agricultural products and you ferment them on site, distill them on site, and then age them if they're whiskey or so on and so forth um, in, in ways to help support the farmers. Um, so the Craft Distillers Guild, Craft Distillers Alliance. So let's break it down really simply because you guys want to, you have, uh, what, 32 SKUs, something yeah. insane like that, 32 SKUs. So... When it comes to the caps, also with this craft designation, how much as a craft distiller can you actually make uh, per year? Because that's something that I don't think people really understand 100%. Yeah, and it's something that we're working actively with government right now to remove and to you know more align it with the other production agreements like wine, where mm -hmm. you know if you're going to celebrate, if you're going to give a benefit that powers the farmers and powers authentic production, why on earth would you put a cap on it? It's like, mm -hmm. we'll allow you to grow to here and then we'll take your knees out. As of right now, they allow you to get to 50,000 liters of finished product and then they start putting punitive levels. They start kneecapping you. So they come at you with a stick and smack you in the shin. You pass 60,000, they take out your kneecap. You, 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 you know, you'll pass 70, they hit you in the crotch. And by the time you get to 100,000, they actually will remove your license from you. Uh, when you pass that threshold. So it's just total insanity. Of course, they'll say, oh no, we'll just help you transition to be a commercial distillery. Yeah. Uh, but the commercial distilleries buy their alcohol pre-made. Uh, as you know, NGS are pre-made whiskeys and rums. And that's great if you want to be in that. But it doesn't, you know, for uh, someone whose whole raison d'etre is to be from farm to flask, the only way to survive if you do that with your production cost at say 20 bucks a bottle would be to revert totally. If they're going to pull your license and not give you the benefit, well, then you've got to revert. So it's an ass backwards system. And, and actually, which is great, we've got the mandate um, from the provincial government now back on the BTAP panel that I sit on to work with the LDB and LCRB to help transform this, to make it uh, a better system, not just for distilled spirits, but for cider, sake, you know, uh, you know beer, wine, for everything to have a better supporting value added made in BC. And so that's that's really our challenge right now. Now, on the national front, um, this what we're talking about on excise tax, 
totally different because excise is only a tax, a sin tax, if you were, that's on spirits placed at the national level. So it's a federal tax that leaves the province soon as you're sort of produced and bottled in the back there. And that's where um, at present uh, Canadian distillers pay seven times the amount of excise tax on that first hundred thousand, well, on their that that U.S. distillers pay, and actually, if you calculate it on a per alcohol molecule basis, they pay 25 times the rate that BC or craft brewers pay right across the country. And actually, that jumps to almost 53 times if we sell in the government liquor store. So it's in total wow. insanity. And I think this is the hard thing that a lot of people like going back to that 50,000 liters. Everyone's like, 50,000 liters is a lot. I'm like, yeah, but I know of a number of distilleries, including your own, that get very close and tap that out every yeah. single year. The guys that have really expanded and really have done fantastic things. 50,000 liters creeps up on you really close when it comes time for that like end of financial year, that end of fiscal year. That 50,000 liters gets really tight real quick. It and does. So, yeah, it does. And you look at it, you look at, you know, why should, you know, you look at our family distillery. Why are we not expanding? Well, we haven't been able to expand for over seven years now, almost eight years. What kind of business, how, how do you keep ahead of competition? How do you, you know, create new products and new relationships? We've actually pulled out of almost every province across Canada to maintain our cap threshold here in BC. But that's ass backwards to any other type of same business model. And so it, it's just basically um, when the agreement happened here in BC. So when we're talking provincial agreements, that's dealing with the province. Uh, and so that agreement, when it came, it was a great agreement to champion BC. But unfortunately, there was a bunch of bureaucrats that inserted clauses into that that made it unusable or not as effective as it should be. And I don't think there was malicious intent at the time. I think it was just they didn't know. They didn't know where things were going. And we're now eight years into it. And what should have been modified five years ago is now having real life effect where I can, our farmers are wanting to grow more. I can't allow them to plant anymore for us. And so, you know, it's having a, this trickle down effect, which is not good for any of the taxpayers of BC, whether you even like spirits or not. You know, BC distilleries power the local economy to a tune of 10 times a local brewery, if you're, if you're saying per end literage, and six times a winery. And so why wouldn't you allow them to power those local, 100% local jobs and local agricultural footprint? Well, that's the thing is I know that, like, hypothetically speaking, if you turn to commercial tomorrow, I know of a couple of distilleries, including your own, that every year at the end of the season, you just get truckloads of like ugly fruit and stuff that can't be sold on markets that would have just turned into landfill and, and compost. And you guys distilled it off into fruit brandy for your liqueurs and so on and so forth. I know that uh, Stillhead here on the island does the exact same thing. They always get like an apple farmer from down the road go, hey, I apple farm the apple trees blew up this week i've got like excess amount of apples do you want to take them they're like yeah we'll take them and process them and distill them into their apple brandy and so if you turn into a commercial and start using ngs that relationship goes out the door and then the farmers are out of pocket the farmers have to just basically buy to like compost their excess fruit and that's it yeah well if you look at you know you buy in the, the amount of grain used to, this I often will use to put it in people's mind, it takes us about an acre of our property 
to make about a ton here in the Okanagan. That's the growing sort of ratio, about a ton of our local barley, corn, or get a little bit more per acre off corn, but uh, barley and rye. One ton makes one barrel, which is 200 liters. Wow. And so if I, now if I stopped at the beer mark, that would be 4,000 liters of beer at the, at the beer wash. So I could sell 8,000 pints of beer here or 2,000 liters of whiskey to off of that one that one acre of land but at that you know our, if i look at our just okanagan spirits outreach into the growers community we have three dozen farm families working like that work directly with and mm -hmm. it helps support okanagan spirits we grow on we're we keep underneath of that cap level just because we're not willing to uh, lose those benefits um, we produce way more than that because we're putting down lots of whiskey for years to come, but it doesn't get quantified until you put it in bottle. And so we're putting down for future generations of whiskey, I guess. But if you look at all of those, uh, our footprint in the Okanagan is 250 acres of local farmland, 56, wow. no, 64 acres of local orchards and about 23, 24 acres of local berry farms. And that's just us. Now, if you took you, what you said in the beginning, you know, 70 to 90 craft distilleries in BC, if they all had that footprint and then if they were all allowed to grow to a sensible level, because our size, I can tell you right now, 20 years in the industry, we're about a quarter where we need to be to mm -hmm. be cost effective. That's one quarter of what a, a U.S. new build distillery startup craft is looking at. Their startup, they always aim between that sort of 800 and 1,000 barrels a year. And so that would be about a thousand acres, 750 yeah. to a thousand acres of land just for their startup. And when I go down there and talk to them, they're like, how do you actually turn a profit at only doing like 50,000, 66,000 bottles or a hundred thousand bottles? Like, are you crazy? Like you'll never, how do you keep the doors open? And I'm like, well, it's tough. You know, you really have to be, you've got to be smart. You've got to sell other products like fentanyls and ball caps and all mm -hmm. these types of things. But you know, the average craft distiller in BC is re and across Canada is really struggling. And that's where this, um, this movement to actually change this one small, it seems small, this excise tax component, but on every bottle of alcohol, that reduction in the US puts about $3 more on every direct sale of alcohol that a distillery in the US, and I'm not just the US, but we're talking the UK, the EU, Australia, mm -hmm. South Africa, every other first world production company has done this to generate jobs and domestic growth. And it works. They know that if they give, if they give up a dollar of excise revenue, they gain $4 of local in-country domestic economic development. So a four to one return. If I, if I told you I could get you a four to one on your investments, you'd say, hey, Tyler, you go, go, and, go and do it. But for some reason, the government has been a stick in the mud. As the federal government has just said, no, we've got our hands on the lollipops and the cookie jar and we're fine the way it is. But instead, of, you know, really when they're saying that, they're saying that they're not allowing Canadian industry to grow. They're not allowing farmers to grow, not allowing distillers to grow. And they're leaving three dollars on the table or four dollars for every one dollar that they're collecting so it's just lunacy from a from a policy a financial policy platform statement it's insane that they're not doing it do you think it's just a pure lack of understanding and i know we've had our conversations about uh craft beer and wineries getting a lot of leeway in the beginning 
and a lot of bureaucrats saying, you know what, we gave a lot of leeway to the breweries, we gave a lot of leeway to the wineries. We're just gonna we're gonna step back and hold back on this because it does seem like it does seem a very simple, easy cost effect. It, everything that you've been saying is, seems like it's a very easy thing to roll out and makes sense. So what's holding them back? Well, I think what's holding us back is traditionally the Canadian government has always done things in a very, very uh, poor fashion. This is provincially and federally. They've chosen non-trade compliant mechanisms to give benefits. Look at VQA, for example, even look at the craft agreement here. It's pretty hard to defend those. When they gave wine, when they uh, a couple of decades ago, when they said wine doesn't have to pay any excise, well, if they use 100% Canadian product, well, of course, you know, Australia and the US are going to get upset about it. So I think it stung them in the butt before. And now they're just like, oh, we don't want to touch that. Instead of saying, hey, wait a minute, the other countries did the same. But the other countries then realized, okay, we got to change these non-trade compliant practices. And let's come up with a system that is trade compliant, but still gives us the benefit. Now, when it first happened, you saw in like the UK and the EU and Australia and South Africa, when they all started going, they were all waiting to see, is it going to work? Or are they just giving up money? Is it just like a handout to the distillers? And when they, fir- when they first started, they most of them gave these temporary extensions. And the, the best agreement that I've seen has been the US. They waited quite a long time. They got all of industry together, which is what we've done now in Canada to get the big guys aligned with the small guys and said, okay, what is the most sensible way? What is trade compliant? It's not going to get a spanking from the World Trade Organizations or a challenge, uh, but is also going to give maximum benefit. And that's what now we've got this track record all around the world of this type of policy where they don't tell you you have to use BC or Canadian content. All they do is they say, hey, we're going to give you an advantage only on that first 100,000 in the States, it's proof gallons. Here, we're asking for uh, basically half of that, which is if you do 100,000 liters LAA on there. Now, on that first little bit, that's you know literally a day's production at Jack Daniels. So we're talking a tiny bit. But it's still substantial. Jack Daniels would still get the benefit in the U.S. just like you know Canadian Club would here. Uh, but also to those smaller distillers, it's it's probably their whole annual output. So mm-hmm. it allows them to keep more money in their pocket. They can hire new staff. They can grow to get their cost of production down to be more competitive. Right now, what's happened with this trade imbalance with the U.S. cutting theirs to one seventh our excise in that first hundred thousand proof gallons? It allows their distillers to become you know, four to five times our size. Now they can afford to sell into our market under the value that we can afford to sell in our mm-hmm. own market. So they come in and take market share and they still are making money doing it. Whereas a Canadian distillery is losing the opportunity at home. They, they actually, right now, you're better off as a Canadian distillery to go sell in the US because the US will give you that yep. markup advantage down there. And so the Canadian government is uh, just, you know, I think right now they've been in election mode, they've been in COVID and everything like that. But powering Canada out of the pandemic, this is probably the number one, especially when I talk to all the agricultural sector and the different ministers, this is the number one opportunity for any Canadian government to come out in a thing and say, here's 10,000 jobs across Canada. Here's hundreds of millions of dollars we're pumping back into the Canadian economy. And we're doing it at a time where we're building Canadian confidence and, and pride and value added made in Canada without having to say you have to use made in Canada. 
because you and I both know, Sean, that all of these craft distilleries to distinguish themselves from the big players, they use local. They mm -hmm. can't out market the big guys, so they can only be more authentic and more local and get and gain that local support. So it it it, it will power down to that local economy. And I think the hard thing is a lot of people possibly listening or their opinions on craft distilleries and distilleries in general in, in Canada. I don't think they ever think about the scalability and the possible uh, future investment as well as possible sale to a big company. Like you always hear this in the US, like XYZ craft distillery gets by, bought by Constellation Brands, gets bought by Panera That can't happen in Canada right now because mm -hmm. no big company or no big VC company or no big, I know that Dragon's Den and, and Tate and Bay have got a, a, a deal and stuff like that. But if you can only make X amount of liters, your company is only worth in any given time, in any given market, only worth that cap you can't it's not worth any any more mm -hmm. so when people when when you see people trying to sell distilleries and they're like trying to sell for xyz you're like well i can only make x amount of liters and i can literally work out how if i go cap out everything i can tell you exactly how much profit i'm going to make at the end of the year before i even buy you and mm -hmm. so i think a lot of people like obviously you guys are a family business but there we don't have this um level of entrepreneurship in the industry of people who are trying to build a brand mm -hmm. to possibly sell in that five to 10 year mark, that yeah. post five, 10, like tons of success or invest in. And it's not even about selling, it's just about gaining investors. Like well, how can you invest in something if you're not gonna make any more money than X? Yeah, it's a really good point. And we talk about this within the provincial and national association and you know what we're fighting for at the provincial level uh, with all of our colleagues across Canada, but especially here in BC is to remove things like these caps. Because what happens is if you allow, if you take away the handcuffs off the industry, then you allow, if someone wants to create a legacy, 50 years, 100 years, have a family business that keeps on going. And if their dream is to have their stamp on that market for that amount of time, mm -hmm. great. Allows them to continue to grow and invest or pull in investors to do that. If their goal is to be like a 10-year exit plan, it still allows that. But then that next person who's now investing and paying for all of the legwork that's been done can then take it to that next level, which then champions BC because it's still 100% BC or 100% Alberta or 100% Quebec. They can still champion that to the, to the world. And that's really from, as a taxpayer, uh, I often put it into minds. I try to turn around and say, if I am totally against drinking alcohol, what really is important to me? And what's important to me is that there's opportunities for my kids and for my you know, loved ones to have employment. There's opportunity for my local friends and family who are farmers to grow as well. So when you have a policy that allows for good organic and domestic growth, where all of that wealth and prosperity stays in Canada, rather than something that champions, which right now the BC system champions getting out of doing anything craft and going in, as soon as you get to 100,000, well, let's call up those Chinese suppliers and let's get NGS shipped in. And that's great for the Chinese economy because it's powering jobs in China. But here, it comes here and literally it's finished product. You're going to mix it in with some water, maybe put some flavors and some color into it. And there's your great craft vodka not or, or gin, but it's not, it's not powering the economy. You've got four people that are mixing and mashing and creating a, a brand instead of the power, the power of, of craft local is there's a four to one outside of that distillery, local four to one 
Plus, you're going to have like us, you know, we have 20 to 30 staff, depending on time of year, just to keep our, our distillery going at this level. Mm-hmm. And we're about like at 100,000 bottles a year there, Sean, you know, Quailsgate, a good what what you we should be telling people craft distillery should be expiring to be in that sort of a realm, mm-hmm. that sort of Quailsgate. They're not big like Mission Hill, but they're successful. They're a good brand that was there from the beginning and they built and grew. Well, Quailsgate does 1.6 million liters. Wow. And that's that's just in, in their wine sort of a portfolio. Well, 1.6 million or 1.6 million bottles, sorry. That's, you know, even 1.2 million liters. Well, if you're allowed 100,000, how do you compete? And our cost of production, because we have to distill down six bottles of wine to get one bottle of vodka, mm-hmm. just, just the brass tacks of it. Well, you know, I, I can only profit. I can't sell it for six times as much as a bottle of BC wine. We're pretty much on par. You know, like a vodka and a BC wine, 40 bucks, that's pretty on par there. So, you know, th- this is where just at some point sense has to prevail. And people, that, that those numbers often sound big, but they're tiny, like a 50,000 liter where our cap starts at. That's the size of one tank at Quailsgate, one fermenter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, well, and just look at the the setup you guys have got behind you there in the in the video. Like that's one of the bigger distilleries in the province. Like you're you're one of the bigger guys in the province with that. Like a lot of these smaller guys, I think, I think with a hard time when it comes to this sort of lobbying and stuff. And we again, we've chatted about this in the past. Um, is so many people get into it for passion, mm-hmm. and they're not thinking about that scalability. They're not thinking about it about, oh, what if I want to sell my business, that sort of thing. Like, I'm, I'm happy with a 50,000 liter cap because I'm never going to hit that sort of deal. Um, do you find that now that you've spread this alliance across the country, are you finding that people on the eastern uh, east coast and then obviously in Saskatchewan and Alberta and Manitoba and so on and so forth um, are being a lot more business-minded in the direction that they want to take this sort of this Lift Canada spirits? Yeah, I think that uh, because everyone's got different, some have different, like slightly, most are higher cap levels if they have cap levels at all. Uh, some have no clause to, you know, support local production and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think in general, people, once, when they get into the industry, just like us when we got into the industry, it's like, oh, this is great. Everything's going to be good. And it's like, I always say it's like frogs jumping into a pot, mm-hmm. you know, the water starts getting warmer, business starts going, you talk about business all the time. And all of a sudden the stresses come on and you realize mm-hmm. costs are going out, out, out. And then after the first year, they're like, holy cow, I worked the whole first year and I don't have an income to show for it. I can mm-hmm. barely keep the doors open. They get to the end of their second year. I, and when distilleries come and ask the guild and say, hey, what should I expect? I always be like, expect to make nothing or lose quite a lot for the first five years. Mm-hmm. That's what you should expect on this. You might get lucky and depending on how you can keep costs down, but especially if you're wanting to grow and you're wanting to be relevant in the industry and spread your passion. Because no matter how small someone wants to maintain themselves, they want people to know about their mm-hmm. beautiful products that they make. They've put their life and their blood, sweat and tears into it. So to have some oppressive government or policy that is restricting you for no sane reason, like it, it, it wouldn't restrict the wine industry like that. It wouldn't restrict the beer industry. So why do you restrict ours? And I've, I've told you, I've been in meetings in past governments where they said, well, because, uh, you know, wine is classy and spirits aren't. And you sit there and you're like, 
pardon, could you repeat that so I could record this? <laughs> you know, it's just, but, but, you know, I think that draconian and temperance era movement thinking is on the way out. And I think now as we grow as an industry, people are starting to get the idea that we are farm to flask. We are every bit as VQA or farm to flask that VQA wine is going through there. And so, and actually it's been lovely sitting on this provincial panel because it's the first time where I, you get to sit there for the last four years and talk with the LCRB, the LDB, and the other main players in wine, beer, and spirits all sitting together. And actually people going, even those top ends of all the industry saying, oh, I didn't realize you guys made wine first and then distilled. Ah, I get why you're saying yeah. you're terroir specific. And, you know, in the beginning, it was like even the LDB saying, well, you know, wine's got terroir, but of course, spirits doesn't. You'd be like, well, no, spirits doesn't if they're buying NGS. I, I yeah. get that. But well, actually, they still do. It might be Chinese. It might be from Idaho or somewhere, but it's still terroir of that area. But it's just that their, um, their narrow focus is that all spirits is is buying an alcohol and creating a brand. And it's like, no, authentic spirits production, which is what the new policy allows for in BC and in other provinces, is to try to give value at it, give dollars back if you're going to champion uh, that terroir specificity. And, and, and I think it's, it's catching on, but it is something that takes time for people to even get into their mindset. But the nice thing is, is now when we sit with the provincial, not quite there yet with the federal, but with the provincial side, is they're starting to say, oh, I guess because we don't have an argument of how you're different than wine, it's pretty hard for us to deny you those privileges mm -hmm. because you're every bit the same as they are. And so, which is, which is refreshing. And I'm guessing during the pandemic, this is the, the hardest thing for me as a, as an operator, as also a lover of craft spirits, like during the pandemic to help restaurants out, the provincial government gave wholesale pricing, which we should have been getting the, for the last decade. Like I, I, I love when I go to the BC liquor store and they're like, and you saved X amount of dollars. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't save. I don't have coupons for the, the gin I'm buying or the tequila. I, I'm not couponing my liquor order for the Clive's. Like this is just a different layer of tax. I'm not saving money. Like I'm not getting stuff at the bargain bin to help myself out. This is the way it is now. But wholesale pricing did affect the, the craft distillers movement in, in BC in the way of pricing, especially for restaurants and bars, because all of a sudden you went from a bottle of craft rye being on par or being a smidge more expensive than say your lot 40s and, and your 40 creeks and stuff to all of a sudden being like $10 more expensive. And that's, that's a hard pill to swallow when it comes to it. So like, mm -hmm. are you, how are you seeing with taxes and that sort of thing? And we'll go provincial after this with the lifted uh, lift Canada spirits. Like, how are you seeing that? Is there a way you can come to the same playing field in BC for on-premise? Obviously, retail yeah. is always going to be a big thing, but on-premise is obviously opening up and it's going to be a big market again. How yeah. How is the provincial government and yourselves working on that to sort of level that playing field? Yeah, so um, the uh, hospitality prices, obviously our partners in hospitality, they needed a break. It was one of the only jurisdictions in the world that didn't have this. Uh, and so it was well overdue. Um, so, you know, we're standing alongside, uh, you know, uh, Ian Tosteson and uh, Jeff Guinard championing the cause there. Those, you know, if anyone needs a, a hat shake and a, a pat on the back for getting that across the line, those two, those two are what really pushed that through. 
Um, but really when you look at uh, what, who paid for it, well, it was paid for on the backs of BC producers mm -hmm. and uh, well, the LDB had to give up some of their um, wholesale to retail markup on it. But because BC producers sell direct to individuals and buy pat they we don't sell through the ldb because they take all you know 40 dollar bottle of gin if they take 30 dollars, the mm -hmm. distiller can't even make it for 10 so we have to sell direct now i kind of look at it a bit differently than how you po poised at the beginning because i think that the craft industry most of the craft industry they're selling at a price and they may have positioned it at the lowest price they could possibly manage to compete with lot 40 and all those sort of guys but by provincial mandate when industry pricing came in we also have to follow that as well so basically it meant that our we were making 20 percent less or 16 percent less or whatever your the wholesale pricing was depending on the category on those bottles and so equally when lot 40 dropped all of like okanagan spirits whiskeys would have drop down too, unless you were a part ahead of the curve and you had already dropped your prices to that industry mm -hmm. wholesale pricing, which a, a few had. But in general, all of the prices came down. Now, of course, the big guys don't feel that because they're already selling at that. And they, they don't, that's just the LDB giving up profit on mm -hmm. that. Um, but from the craft movement and BC wines and BC craft spirits were in this bubble here, where now all of a sudden they're like, holy cow, we've priced our whiskey at $45 a bottle because that's the least we can afford to get it to market. And now they're telling us we, we are mandated. We have to sell yeah. it at this lower amount. So now it's like, you know, say 36 bucks a bottle that they're selling it at. Now they're like, oh my goodness, like I can barely, like that's, you know, mm -hmm. it's almost not worth selling it, which sounds ridiculous, but, but because they haven't been allowed to grow, they can't get the cost of production down. And so it's this, everything's interconnected in that. Now, having said that, if the government here in BC releases the handcuffs from those restrictions and allows industry to grow here in BC, and then coupled with that, if the federal government says, we're gonna get less greedy and we're gonna do what every other first world country does and promote made in Canada by giving them a little bit of a tax advantage at the beginning to power Canada, well, then you're going to see a much more robust industry. You're going to see amazing Canadian whiskeys that can be at that price point so that if you're an agent, you can sell it. If you are a, a restaurateur or a whiskey lounge, you can choose. Like, do I want Lot 40 or do I want this locally craft produced? And they're going to be in that same price point on there. And so I think it's a, a good win for everybody. But And the end win is that when you make a whiskey here locally, all of that money stays local mm -hmm. rather than it coming in and just selling through the liquor board. So this is where I would say to our partners in hospitality, like we were, we were, and I was sitting at that table voting thumbs up. Yes, this is, you know, it may hurt our industry right now, but it is the right thing to do right now to get hospitality pricing. But our, our goal is that they're going to be there. And I know they're going to be there to support true authentic made in BC products but I realized there is a market amount that they can afford to bear on that. And so I, I love it now that you look at in BC restaurants and lounges, even through COVID, you know, they've been continuing to do the best they can to support their BC partners who are there to support them for getting industry pricing through. And I think we hope, like I would put a call out here, if you're a restaurant out there, go sign the Lift Canada Spirits petition because at uh, liftcanadaspirits.com, because 
it is what is going to get you better whiskey and gin from local source that's going to power your whole local economy and give you a better choice locally at a cheaper price. So let's, uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Let's uh, blue sky the next six months provincially and then federally. Six months, what would you like to see over the next six months provincially from uh, the BC government? Well, over the next six months provincially, I think we're going to see a coming together. I think you're going to see it probably more realistically through the end of 2022. And so you're going to see a transformation alignment of a more sane and just and equitable system that treats spirits and cider. Uh, it, 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 it celebrates made in BC and it treats if you're if you're going to power BC, you get this benefit. You got to jump through all these hoops. But if you're jumping through the same hoops, you're going to get relatively the same benefits. And I truly think we're going to see that by the end of 2022 here within the next six months. Lots of meetings down there. <laughs> Lots of meetings. On, uh, on the uh, other front, on the federal front, uh, we are now entering stage two of the Lift Canada Spirits excise mo- movement. Uh, and this is where it is still going to be very grassroots in nature. We have our national coordinators with myself and the, uh, a, a number of others. We've got about eight across the country. And then we're going to be dealing with all the provincial organizations. But this is now the time that the election has, uh, we've got through the election. It looks very much the same as it did before. Yes. So this is re-engaging. And this is basically going back to the liberals now with uh, also getting the conservatives and the NDP and basically saying our message to them is saying, this is a common sense issue. This is not a divisive issue. Mm-hmm. This is also an issue that when you get, we give benefit, unlike when you gave benefit to the wine industry where it only helped Niagara and the Okanagan. Yeah. This helps every jurisdiction, every riding across Canada. So whether you're conservative, whether you're NDP, whether you're a liberal, Bloc Québécois support, you know, those MPs, it's going to help someone in their riding and all of the farm families that are out from that. So this is the right thing to do now. And if you really want Canada to, you know, power itself out of the economy, rather than sit around and just depend on the Walmart model to bury us behind our international partners, this is how we reestablish Canada. And this is how we retake Canada as the forefront of the craft distilling movement. This is, you know, if you, if you think the, the first craft uh, agreement was here in BC, if we lose this opportunity, it's going to be like in craft beer where you had this massive groundswell. Mm-hmm. But people don't think of BC as the craft beer movement, except for those that are in the industry. Everyone outside of it is like, oh, no, it's south of the border. Look at what they did down there. It's yeah. because we fumbled the ball up here. And so, and so I'm, you know, in government, I'm like, don't fumble the ball. Don't put us behind the eight ball here because we could be leading the charge. In the in the you know last couple of years in the U.S., the last three years in the U.S., a thousand new distillery starts directly wow. linked to this program. They had millions of new acres planted, hundreds of thousands of new jobs, something like four billion dollars in economic development directly stemming from this. It's ridiculous. And so, if for a government to ignore it, eventually it will kick them in the back. Like, You'll lose an election over this. That's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So want to do the smart thing and get Canadians on side because Canadians love championing value-added mm-hmm. made in Canada. And we're always apologizing for everything. This is a chance for us to say, hey, we're going to lead the world market. And in 20 or 30 years time, we should have Canadian whiskey and Canadian gins up there with every other whiskey and gin in the world. And on that mic drop... <laughs> I want to thank you so much for your time. So I really appreciate it. Uh, it's always fantastic chatting to you. Cheers.
Cheers, Joe. It was great being on the show, and I, it really is. Uh, I'm humbled to be able to be here, and thank you for the platform to speak from. So liftcanadaspirits.com. Yeah. Go sign the petition. Make sure you have a, give the distillers that you love and, and uh, a voice so that they can keep pushing forward and uh, making fantastic spirits that you love. Sounds good. Yeah, left CDN Spirits, the hashtag, if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that. But definitely, you know, get out there, make some noise. And, you know, if you're part of an association, put it out there to all your members if it's hospitality-wise because it's the only way that we're going to re-authenticate the industry. Thanks again, sir. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks there, Sean. Thanks a lot. Bye. Okay. Thanks for listening, Pose Shifters. I well, hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoy sitting down with friends and peers and uh, just chatting about the industry and getting down to the nuts and bolts of what's really going on out there. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, comment, everything on all the platforms. Just hit it up and I'll do my best to answer any queries or questions you have. I'll see you next week, guys. Bye.